All right. I hope you'll take your Bibles and open to Matthew chapter 7. We're continuing our walk through the Sermon on the Mount. If you were with us last week, you'll remember I referred several times to the story Pilgrim's Progress. The story of a man named Christian who leaves his home in the city of destruction and goes on this journey traveling to a place called the Celestial City. And it's a, it's a tale of a long and difficult trip, a journey on a narrow and hard path, but a journey that ultimately leads to safety and to eternal joy. It's a story that's built in large part on verses 13 and 14 of Matthew chapter 7. That's where we were last week. And in those verses, we, we, we heard as Jesus describes these two paths. First, there's a, a wide gate, and that, that wide gate leads to an easy path that's well-traveled. It's a common way, an easy way to find, and easy enough to follow. But... That path, Jesus tells us, leads to destruction. However, there is another path. The second path begins at a, a narrow gate. That narrow gate leads to a hard path, a path that is less traveled. Fewer people find it, and those who do find it find difficulty along the way. But here's the key. Those who enter through the wide gate, their end, Jesus tells us, is destruction. But those who enter through the narrow gate, their end at the end of that journey is life. And life everlasting. So this is the call from Jesus. And he says at the beginning of Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, he tells us this. He says, enter by the narrow gate. He tells us, choose the narrow gate. It's the way that leads to life. Now, to step away from the metaphor, although I think you all understand it, there is only one way into the kingdom of God. The only way to enter the kingdom of God is through Jesus himself, the gate that is Christ. Last week we considered this invitation, these two paths, and my hope is, my prayer has been, that you left last week with this sense of reality that there there is a choice that has to be made. Every person, each one of us, and all people in all places have a choice to make. It's a call for us to, first ourselves, enter through that narrow gate, to be willing to walk the path of repentance, self-denial, and even suffering. Then along with that, we should realize that it's our responsibility now to help others to find their way through that gate. We recognize the other gate, it's wide, it's easy. It's the path we all start on, and it's the path that most people will sadly end on. But this is why we share the gospel. We're helping people see that the way to life is through a different gate. It's down a different path. That was last week. But what Jesus says next, starting in verse 15, is connected. This morning we're going to hear a, a warning from Jesus. A warning that there are those who are going to teach many different things about how we enter the kingdom of God. About the way that leads to life. There are many who will teach things that are, according to Jesus, untrue. 
perhaps they could suggest that all paths lead to God. Or that the narrow way is too narrow and too difficult. I know we all know that there are so many ways that the gospel can be distorted. So here's the call, the warning from Jesus. He's telling us in our passage, watch out for false prophets. Beware of those who would lead you to enter through the wrong gate or to follow the wrong path. Now, I told you last week, we are in the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. It's a a four-part conclusion. And yet, I, I argued last week that this may be the most important part of the sermon. Because now Jesus is telling us the way to enter the kingdom that he's been describing in chapters 5 and 6. And he's warning us that while the way into the kingdom is through the narrow way, there will be those who will say things that are untrue. And so we have this call, be on guard, be aware. Watch out for those who would lead you or others astray. In the story of Pilgrim's Progress, if hopefully it was your homework, right? You read it this week? So we're all together now. As Christian takes this, this journey, there are those who come into his path and tell him, this isn't necessary. This narrow, hard way, it's not leading where you think it is. There were those who wanted to convince him there was a better way. And, and we hear the same thing today. There are those who would seek to move us away from the truth of the gospel. So we must hear this warning from Christ. We're in Matthew chapter 7, and our text this morning is verses 15 through 20. So I hope you'll find a Bible around you and follow along as we read. Hear the word of God. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Ask that God would be blessed through the reading and preaching of his word. Now if you think back or look back to the beginning of chapter 7, we spent two weeks working through what Christ said about judgmentalism. There in verse 1, he says, Judge not that you be not judged. And we spent two weeks here because it's important. It's so easy for us to be tempted to be quick to accuse, to condemn without humility or gentleness. We can be quick to critique others without any aim towards restoration or any concern for love. So we spent quite a bit of time thinking through this call from Jesus to avoid judgmentalism, and it's a command that we must not ignore. But at the same time, when we were in that passage, I told you that that command from Christ is not a command to discard discernment. It's not a call to just let anything go. No, as the people of God, we we must be discerning. 
we must recognize sin. We must deal with sin. We must be a people who know the truth, love the truth, and stand for what is true. And I wanted to bring this up again, because I think it's important. I was just thinking about this in my own heart. It's important as we come to this text about false prophets to bring with us what we learned about the sin of judgmentalism. Because we are called to be people of love and humility, of people who are long-suffering, of people who bear all things, believe all things, and hope all things. But at the same time, we must be people who stand for what's true, right? So we want to hold these things side by side, to be people who obey both commands, to hold the truth, to defend the truth, and to do so in a way that honors Christ. So let's get to the warning here in verse 15. He tells us, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I labeled it as a warning. He starts with this word, beware. He's saying, watch out, pay attention, be on guard. The warning is, he wants us to recognize there are people who will say things and, and teach things that are contrary to the gospel, that could lead us away from the truth of the gospel. So watch out, pay attention, be aware. It's a warning. It's a warning that's important because Jesus said it. And a warning that's important because things of eternity are at stake. I was thinking as we come to this four-part conclusion about how important and really the reason why we work through books of the Bible the way we do, verse to verse and paragraph to paragraph, because context matters, right? What we see in the context here is last week there were these two paths, the narrow and the wide path, and the path we choose will determine our eternity. We're talking about matters of eternity. And now this warning, Jesus says, watch out. There will be those who will claim authority, who will claim to speak on behalf of God. And they will say things that will be opposed to the truth. So be aware. Pay attention. Be discerning. As I looked at this passage, I began to think and then look up and consider how often the Bible tells us things like this. To watch out for false teachers or false prophets. If we just start with Jesus, he has a lot to say about it. We've, we've spent quite a bit of time in the Sermon on the Mount hearing what he says about the, the scribes and the Pharisees. He calls them hypocrites. He points to their teaching and he, he shows the error of it. A little bit later in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 15, again, he's with these religious leaders, the, the, the Pharisees. He says to them, this is Matthew 15, 14, he says, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. He's constantly pointing to the fact that the religious leaders are, are leading people astray. And as we go through the Gospels and hear the words of Jesus, it comes up over and over again. We'll just stay in the Gospel of Matthew right now. In chapters 24 and 25, he begins talking about the, the end times. And we see this warning a couple of times in that context. Matthew 24, starting in verse 3, we're told Jesus, he sat on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately, saying, tell us when these things will be, and 
what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? It's their question. It's actually a question we dealt with, remember, when we were in Mark 13, not too long ago. Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. So you see the warning? Many will come in my name, many will be led astray. Later in that same conversation, starting in verse 10, he says, And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And you say, you just read that. No, that was a different verse. <laughs> he, he's repeating himself. Many false prophets, many led astray. And he brings it up over and over again. He wants his disciples to know there will be those who will say things contrary to Christ, contrary to the gospel. So be aware. I started thinking there's, there's lots of passages that give us this warning, isn't there? So I went and just started compiling them. And so I'm just going to spend the rest of our time together just reading all these passages, okay? No, but I could. There's that many. Um, we, could just, we could just read them, and it would fill the rest of our time and beyond. But I, I got to give you some, right? Here's an example. Romans chapter 16, Paul writing to the church at, at Rome. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to... Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles that are contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but they serve their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. He's telling the Romans, there are those who are going to sound good and say good sounding things, but they're deceivers. Smooth talkers. That's an example from Paul. Peter says something similar. Second Peter chapter 2. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So we've got the, the many false prophets, and then many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So the same thing again. People who are teaching things contrary to the truth, and they're gaining a following, and they're leading people astray. We've seen it from Paul and Peter. And we've heard it from Christ. So the question is, the question I started asking is, why does it come up so often? Why is it talked about so much? And I've already mentioned a couple of things. One is that the truth matters. Second, the truth is a matter of eternity. Because if we get the gospel wrong, then we miss the narrow way, which is Christ. But here's another reason that I think we get this warning so often. It's because false teachers are hard to identify. Isn't that what Jesus says here in verse 15? Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. One of the reasons we get this warning so often is because it's not obvious. Jesus says, there's those who come in, and Paul says they're smooth talkers, right? 
And that's how you know I'm not a false teacher. He's not a smooth talker. But not only are these false prophets deceiving these people, but they're hard to recognize. Jesus says they, they look like sheep when they're actually wolves. If you've been around the Bible, you know God refers to his people as sheep. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. We are God's sheep and yet Jesus says there are going to be some who look like sheep. You're going to be with them and talk to them and spend time with them and think they're sheep, but they're actually wolves. Wolves are the natural enemy of sheep. There are a few things more dangerous in a rural context to a sheep than a wolf. Wolves love to find that sheep that's separated from the flock. That sheep that's alone. That sheep that becomes a quick meal. And yet, did you notice the adjective? He doesn't just say they're not sheep, they're wolves. He says they're, they look like sheep, but they're, they're ravenous wolves. They're hungry wolves, ready to eat, eager to devour. Watch out for wolves. But again, the problem, here's the problem. They don't look like wolves. They look like sheep. So we get away from the metaphor. Jesus wants us to know this is how often false teachers appear. Not wearing a shirt that says, watch out, beware but in clever speech. What about you? I was, I was trying to just think about myself. Uh, when you read these passages about false teachers, what, what do you have in mind? What do you think of when you think of the truth being threatened? And I'll be honest, for me, the first things that come to mind is that, you know, an, an outspoken atheist who's has these carefully thought out arguments and he's speaking against God and his word. That is a form of a false teacher. Or you may think of public universities and the prevalence of anti-Christian thinking and philosophy that permeates higher education and think false teaching. And you'd be right. Maybe you think of a man in an expensive suit with a big smile who stands on a stage and hundreds of thousands see him on TV. Maybe that's the image that comes to your mind. Sure. But that's not necessarily what Jesus is talking about here, is it? Here he's talking about false teachers that come in more subtly. It's not overt. It's people who look and sound and smell like sheep. And again, it's something that we're warned about quite a bit in the New Testament. One of the examples that comes to mind for me is in Acts chapter 20. It's just been a week of remembering, so... I remember this week that this was the passage that was preached at the, the service where I was ordained. And it's this passage where Paul is speaking to the elders at, Eph at Ephesus. He says this in part of that, that sermon to them. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he has obtained with his own blood. I know, Paul says, that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So it's the same metaphor, right? 
And he, he says the same thing. Pay attention. Watch the flock. There's wolves coming. But did you notice where he says they come from? Verse 30. And from among your own selves. They're coming in from our midst. Which is the same thing Jesus said. There are those among us who appear to be sheep, but are wolves. And it's a warning that just keeps coming. You think, you said you weren't going to read them all. I'm not. Some of them. Okay. Jude chapter 3. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For because certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. When I read that, I think about Romans 6. Should we go on sinning that grace could abound? He says here, they've perverted the grace of God. They've distorted the gospel. 2 Corinthians it's the last one, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. That feels like it raises the stakes, doesn't it? He said, they're servants of Satan. And just like he disguises himself, so too do they. Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So here's the next question. If it's so subtle and so hard to recognize, then what do we do with the warning? What are we watching for then? Because you've convinced me I can't see it. We get another metaphor. Which I love, by the way, because if Jesus can change metaphors just right in the middle, master teacher, then show me some slack whenever I jump from metaphor to metaphor. How do we watch out for wolves among the flock? We watch their fruit. Verses 16 and 20, we see it twice. You will recognize them by their Fruit. He says it twice, and between those two, diagram it, it's fun. You'll recognize them by their fruits, you'll recognize them by their fruits, and dents, okay? And then we've got this metaphor about two trees, two kinds of trees and two kinds of, of fruit. Let's start with the trees. There's two kinds, one's healthy and one's diseased. But here's the deal about these trees. I think what's implied in this passage is that when you look at these two trees, they look the same. And I say that because he's helping us see that there are wolves that look like sheep. And we have trees that aren't cut down until we've seen their fruit. I think Jesus is painting this picture of trees that when we look at them, they, they, they look the same, but one is healthy and the other is diseased. The only way to tell them apart is by the fruit they produce. Verse 17, 
So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. How do we tell the difference between the trees? It's in the fruit. The tree that produces good fruit is a healthy tree, and the tree that produces bad fruit is a diseased tree. You can tell the difference by the fruit that's produced. The condition of the fruit always corresponds to the condition of the tree. That's what Jesus says. Verse 16, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? You don't go to a thorn bush to find grapes. You don't go to a thistle plant. I had to look that one up. Am I the only one? It's a flower that has a lot of thorns on it. But you don't go there looking for figs. Somebody's Googling right now. There are some plants we go to for food, and there are some plants we don't go to for food. There are some trees that produce good fruit and others that don't. But the condition of their fruit reveals the condition of the tree. You will know them by their fruits. You understand what Jesus is saying? There are those who look like sheep, but they're wolves. They look like everyone else, but they're dangerous. How do we know which ones are the wolves? Test the fruit. Examine the fruit of their lives. Watch the outcome of the way they live. It comes down to this. Those who truly know God and love God will reflect them, reflect him in their character, in their lives. Those who don't know him or love him, that will show in their lives too. We see that here in the imagery. Good trees have good fruit. Diseased trees, bad fruit. Watch their lives. Examine the fruit. It's actually a metaphor Jesus uses just a, a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 12. And that passage, I think, helps us to, to kind of recognize that the fruit he's talking about is the character of their lives. Because I was asking, what's the fruit? And I think the fruit is the character of their lives. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 33, he says, sounds familiar, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. The tree is known by its fruit. And then he says to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? Implied you can't, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So you see how that kind of helps us understand the fruit he's talking about in chapter 7? And let me just say this. Let's not just talk about the false teachers. Let's recognize that this applies to us. Our lives will reveal what's in our hearts. Your actions will reveal what's going on in your soul. When I hear this verse, I always think about an illustration that a former pastor of mine used. He talked about a water bottle. If you had this water bottle, you hold it, and you just hold it steady. There's water in it, but there's no water coming out. What if there's pressure? Right? What comes out? The only thing that can come out of this bottle is water, right? Water in, water out. Pressure brings out the water. And the same is true of our hearts. We may be able for a time to be careful enough 
that what's inside doesn't come out. But eventually, the pressure will come. And we'll be put in a situation where our heart will be revealed. And what's in our hearts will always eventually come out. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. Which is important for us to hear. Watch your heart, right? Those who know God and love God will have godly fruit. Those who don't know God or love God will have the fruit of ungodliness. So what we were told, if you want to think about the difference, you can go to Galatians chapter 5. Paul says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's quite a list, but did you notice there's things like anger and jealousy and envy? But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let's go back to our text. We can identify the false teachers by the fruit of their lives. I appreciated the one way one commentator summarized this. He said, looks can be deceiving. So we must pay close attention. In order to discern whom to follow, Jesus tells us to watch how teachers act towards God's people and examine the fruit of their teaching. I think the main thing Jesus is telling us is watch their lives. See what kind of fruit is produced. And go back to 2 Peter chapter 2. He says, false prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Who will secretly bring in destruction, heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And he says this, many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of the truth is blasphemed and in their greed will exploit you with false words. You see how we have the fruit here? They live in sensuality, this lack of constraint. They're greedy, exploiting those around them. And Peter says here, that in the end, those who lead others astray will be judged, which is what I think Jesus also says in Matthew 7. A healthy tree, verse 18, cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you'll know them by their fruits. See that? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In the end, all trees that produce bad fruit will be destroyed which is the same thing Jesus told us last week about the two paths, that those who walk down the path, the wide gate, the easy path, leads to destruction. God will judge those who reject him and the truth and lead others astray. I'm not going to go any further on that except to say this. God cares about the truth. He's serious about guarding the truth. And as his people, we should be a people who love the truth and are serious about guarding the truth. To go back to where we started, when we think about the things of God, we're talking about things of eternal consequence. 
two gates. Everyone will enter through one of those gates. And we know that the only, only those who enter through the gate that is Christ will be saved. And this is the key part of the truth, not the only part of the truth, but the main part of the truth that we've been called to guard. Friends, we have to be a people who take the gospel seriously and who watch carefully for those who would distort or change it. We must be on guard and contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, as Jude says. Of course, knowing the truth and giving ourselves to it is essential, right? If we're going to guard the truth, we have to know the truth. As we end, I was thinking about what Paul says to Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, he's warning them. It's another one of the passages. I'm sneaking it in. He's warning them against false teachers. But yet, here's what Paul tells Timothy. Here's how Paul tells Timothy to be prepared for that. He says this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then we have this verse that we, we quote often together. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. What does he tell him? The way to be prepared to stand up to false teaching is to remember the truth, to grow in the truth. And how do we do that? We have the word of God. And it's profitable. So here's the challenge to us, church. Be aware of the warnings. There will be those who will seek to distort the gospel. We can know them by their fruits. But let's be a people who know the truth, who love the truth, who are growing in the truth, who are able to guard it and able to share it. May it never be true of us that we fell into that category of those who would lead others astray by suggesting that there's any other way to God except through Christ alone. Let's be people who proclaim the gospel clearly and truthfully and fully. Trust that as we do, he'll be glorified and many will be saved. Let's pray together.